Chapter Five of the Will and the Way Stories. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. The Will and the Way Stories by Jesse Benton Fremont. Chapter Five, A Long Horror. I hope Madame will be satisfied now," grumbled the concierge to the cook. "Her big dog has come back." It bolted past me as I was just looking out to see if the rain was over, and never minded my call, but ran up the grand stairs tracking mud and wet into the carpet. Jean says he just had to let it rush into Madame's boudoir, and there it lies on the white fur before the fire, and so cross he had to let him alone. Jean tried to take him away to feed him, he looked starved. But the dog showed his teeth. Ma foi, let him keep his hunger. How many Christians do not get the good food and the baths Madame has made us give this great brute? He has not been bathed and fed while he was lost. Eh, but he is thin. He has had his turn of poverty and want. These rich, they care for nothing but their pleasures. Their dogs are more to them than the poor snarled on the woman, a genuine Parisian of the discontented class, with communist poison in her heart while her soft, flattering ways gained her much money from those same riches. And the comfortable servants agreed, the rich have no heart, a favorite saying among that set of Paris people, and that there ought to be no rich class, that all should be equal. Meantime, they sat idle in the warmth and well-fed condition they owed to these heartless people. Above, in a charming room, all pale silk and sweet with flowers, in his familiar place on the white fur rug before the fire, lay the tawny mastiff, a big panther-like creature, now haggard from hunger and defaced with stains of mud, for he had been lost for a week greatly to his mistress's sorrow outside the winter rain beat on the windows but the air within was soft as summer yet the dog shivered again and again the servant looking in to keep up the fire for the return of the young people who were dining out retreated from the angry growl of the great creature who was usually so gentle they must have beaten him thought prudent jean as well as starved him. I must let sleeping dogs lie. Presently came the roll of the carriage through the porte-cochere, and then the rustle of silk and light footsteps were heard as the young countess ran up, eager to see her dog again and calling his name as she ran in. She was surprised to see him retreat to the furthest corner of the room, and as she impetuously fell on her knees by him, and caressed the big head, he jerked back. Then, with a rough, shrieking cry, sprang at her and fastened his cruel long teeth in the happy young face. Instantly her husband attacked the dog, pulling it off and turning its fury on himself. Though an athlete and splendid in strength and skill, the Count could barely succeed in the effort he made to beat and drive and compel the dog to the door of an adjoining room. Fortunately, the door opened inward. Through this, with a mighty effort, 
he hurled the frantic animal and got the door closed before it was again on its feet his right hand and arm were torn and mangled and his heart sick and faint at the sight of his wife's agonized eyes and bleeding face but quicker than it can be told he acted to save her was the first thought on the table were candles and by them her workbox he took out the steel puncher which she used in her embroidery and held it in the flame of a candle until it was red hot speaking meanwhile to her rapidly i shall have to hurt you so horribly he said i must do it to save you you must let me cauterize the bites instantly and she poor soul lay down on a sofa while he lifted the upper lip which had been bitten through in two places where the dog's long teeth had met as it snapped at her mouth he drew rapidly the hot steel point along the underside to stop the spread of the poison she fainted this made it less hard for him to go on again heating the puncture the two wounds were quickly cauterized then he thrust the poker into the glowing coals and while it was heating threw open the window and called loudly au secours to the answering passer-by he told there was a mad dog shut up now in one of his rooms that two persons had been bitten by it that he wanted physicians instantly and the police to remove the dog and gave his name and address the servants had fled at the first alarm, and they were quite alone. The dog howling, the wind and rain coming in at the window, wide open, as French windows are, down to the floor. But so prompt and well organized is the police of Paris, that in a very few minutes all was done as he had asked. Meantime, he had seared his own arm up and down with the hot poker, burning deep into the worst bites the poor girl still lying in a dead faint. The police came in on this strange scene. The room was wrecked by the struggles of the dog, and the wind from the open window added to the disorder, and the countess in a bloody evening dress lay seemingly dead. The physicians took instant charge of the two wounded, while strong quiet men rolled forward a large iron cage. They placed it at the door of the room where the dog was heard tearing around in mad fury. The iron door of the cage was drawn upward, and in this way the whole aperture was covered when the door of the room should be opened. This was done with a jerk, and the crazed animal bounded forward toward the lighted room and people to find himself in a trap which was instantly secured by the drop of the iron door. And in this way, quickly and safely, the dog was carried off to be kept under careful medical inspection to determine the nature of its frenzy. This was before Pasteur, but French science is always alert and acute. Of the days of horrible fear and anxiety that followed, it is enough to tell that within the week the Mastiff died of unmistakable rabies after careful watching the best authorities agreed on this then a great dread fell on the young people only time could decide their fate 
the parents of both hastened to them the young count was russian and his wife american the telegraph had summoned these for who could say how soon their doom would overtake the two unfortunate young people words cannot express the concentrated grief hope and terror in this family group the physicians gathered hope from the promptness with which the count had cauterized the wounds and as day followed day and weeks added themselves to more weeks without any symptoms of danger they insisted the young people should accept their theory of hope and apply themselves with all their will to not thinking about possible hydrophobia they insisted on this saving power of the will which could only come from themselves then began for this young couple a strange life each tried to outdo the other in effort for forgetfulness while each trembled for the other they led a life of incessant physical activity and seeking after any occupation of mind which might efface that night of horror the countess was not allowed to look in a glass careful hands wound a thick veil about the lower part of her face and she drove her spirited horses until she tired them and herself the two refused to be separated and the count's arm in a sling they were seen incessantly a pathetic pair who called out everyone's sympathy as they bravely tried to wear themselves into fatigue enough to quiet nerves friends talked cheerfully to them and tried to aid them in the necessary turning away the mind from what was a dread possibility but there could be no definite limit for this ordeal of waiting they traveled to america with her people when the physicians permitted the journey and hope had begun to replace fear it was a long siege of will-power against ugly fact and torturing chance that was twelve years ago both are living and no illness came to either to the count's quick action and firm will which overmastered the weakness of tenderness but enabled him to inflict still more pain on his young wife the physicians thought she owed her safety there was no time lost in treating his own arm, and he did it with heroic thoroughness. It may have been the cauterizing, it may have been the unknown forces of nature, but both were saved. Hydrophobia does not necessarily follow even from bad mangling from a dog. This many of us know for ourselves. This dog, stolen and doubtless thrown with many dogs out of condition, was carefully watched by men of science and found to be genuinely mad. An instinct of affection for its mistress made him retreat from her, I have seen the same thing, and warn her off. This was warning enough to one knowing the wonderful instinct of a fine dog, but as she and her thoughtless insistence took the big head in a kind caress then the madness broke out it is good to know that not only was life saved but no real disfigurement followed for the countess one bite through her lip healed fully leaving only a faint scar the other more on the cheek than the lip remained a small open hole over which she wears a little patch of court plaster 
like the beauty patch of old days and the count's brave right arm is true and strong as ever but the countess has never regained her brilliant color perfectly pale and with her large dark eyes keeping still an intense look of almost fear she is more interesting than in her gay untroubled youth end of chapter 5 recording by roger moline